Howdy folks, this is Big Kev, your most excellent host of the Roots Rock Revolution. And you lucky folks, you're listening to KPFT, Houston, 90.1 FM, HD1. Check us out, you'll love it. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Russell. On this given Tuesday, November 30th, I want to encourage you all to support one of my favorite radio stations, a radio station that I cannot say how much it meant to me growing up. KPFT, ladies and gentlemen. Look, it's up to all of us to keep great radio on the airwaves here in Houston, Texas, and everywhere. Radio has a huge impact on the community and on people like me and you. (laughs) And KPFT brings you shows. They're curated by the DJs who love the music and want to share it with you. It's invaluable. So please, 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 on this given Tuesday, give what you can for our beloved KPFT Houston. Call 713-526-5738 or donate online, kpft.org, and tell them Shiny Rib sent you. And keep playing that radio, baby. Keep playing that radio. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. So take a moment to make your kid laugh. Because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Looking out a dirty old window Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why all right. Welcome to Growing Up in America. Bob Sanborn here from Children at Risk, along with Lauren Beagle. Lauren Also Beagle, from Children at Risk. Generation Z correspondent here on Growing Up in America. True. So, um, Lauren, today we, uh, we're sort of going to this new format, right? We're doing going all over the place. We're yeah. looking at different things. And this is exciting. Pledge week. Oh, my gosh. I've actually been, I'm sure our listeners have noticed, I've been out for a minute. And I'm only back for Pledge Week because I'm just that excited to oh, pledge. Oh, they've noticed. They've I'm noticed. sure they have. Yeah. They've been calling. They've been asking. Yeah. Yeah. Social media, certainly. It's yeah. blown up, Blowing right? Up. Where is the beagle? Where is she? Yeah, very well, good. Well, I'm back. She's back. And uh, so Pledge Week, I mean, we're going to get into this a couple of times, but I want to encourage people to call in, right? I mean, this is the number, 713-526-5738. And we want you to pledge because community radio Children at Risk Radio. This goes right into the radio station uh, to make sure that we're doing things like doing this show and all the other great shows that KPFT Pacifica bring you. So uh, this is something we'll get into some of the gifts that they could get in later. Yeah. If they're making some of the pledges. Uh, but we want to encourage the people, give people, a, we want people to give a call. 713-526-5738. What's the best thing about KPFT, Lauren, from your perspective? Um, you know, I hate listening to ads. I really yeah, do. I yeah. pay for Spotify premium and Netflix and all the things so I can enjoy content ad-free. And I think that's something Pacifica has that other radio shows do not, yeah. is we get to do this ad-free every week. And we speak for the community, which I... We it, do. This is the, we like, are the Houstonians the people, right? bringing so, you ad-free radio. Very good. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on 90.1 FM, KPFT Pacifica Radio. And this, Lauren, is a discussion on our children, public policy, and all that entails, right? So we speak for all the children in the state of Texas. We're part of Children at Risk, the voice of Texas's children. And for the next 57 minutes or so, we'll fill this up with lively discussion on the quality of life of our children. Uh, A couple of good segments. We'll do our thumbs up, thumbs down today. And piercing baby's ears is the topic it is yeah so that's that'll be interesting and then our our number for date of the day 32 the number of that's old age for lauren yeah that is that's that's a nightmare (laughs) age for lauren um yeah the number of what ounces in a gallon I think we're at 64. <laughs> I think I'm wrong on that. Nobody call in on that one. Okay, very good. And and you're the Generation Z correspondent. See, this is the problem with today's youth. It is. Yeah, yes. So very good. Uh, so let's, let's go right into our uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. 
Bailando aquí en el estudio. Estamos bailando. Estamos bailando. Sí, ahí usted habla español también, ¿ah? ¿eh? Sí. Sí, ¿qué podemos hacer aquí? All right, thumbs up, thumbs down. Piercing baby's ears. Yeah. So, what do you think of this idea? I mean, why is this controversial? I, you know, I'll be honest. I guess I'll give my thumbs up, thumbs down away. This is not something I ever have really thought of as controversial, but I yeah. did see a TikTok the other day about like a woman feeling very judged when she took her infant in to have their ears pierced. Like she was getting like dirty looks and you know, whatever. I mean, babies are going to cry and stuff. Um, but it's sort of a cultural thing, right? A it lot is, of cultures, I, the, the, I mean, I grew up in Puerto Rico. We felt like piercing the, the, the little girl's ears was something you do immediately. Now you could get into the sort of the gender identity deal of it. Yeah. I mean, I do think it is, it is very gendered um, for sure. I don't, see many people taking their, you know, born male babies to get their ears pierced very I young. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen that either. Um, and I mean, I do think as someone who has gotten my ears pierced multiple times, not in a, in a judgmental way for parents, but in just a practical way, like I would be a little concerned about it. Like the ear, the earrings catching on stuff. Like, you know, you're open to a lot of infections and things that like I just don't know as someone who doesn't come from a culture where that's a practice if I would if I would do that just for the you know the risk of it catching on there or my clothes or bedding or whatever because they can be a little tedious earrings to maintain and to, to yeah keep no, up no with. I get that and I think uh, you know if we had a pediatrician if Dr. Bikini were here with us yeah. today uh, she'd probably say you know why add one other thing to worry about right yeah so, uh, uh, I mean, it's in a sense, you know, why mess with the body when you don't really have to? I mean, you could make that argument. You could. Listen, I'm, I don't know that I'm a pro or a con on this. I don't. I mean, I guess I'm thumbs up because I just think like if that's if it's you who's dealing with it and yeah. if you it's not that hard to deal with. But again, I would probably for myself choose the why add more. Like I would just wait until my child could care for their own ear piercings. But I'm not going to say like parents shouldn't do it. Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of their their journey. I yeah, I think so. it's up. To, a thumbs up to letting parents uh, figure out what they want to do on this. And to parental choice. Look at us. <laughs> Don't yeah, quote us on that. In, the, uh, in that sort of way. Yeah, exactly. So that's very good. All right. All right. All right, we are. Talk a little bit more about pledging I right now. Say, I, I pulled up the list of the things you could get if you pledge some money to KPFT. What do you get? What do you get? Well, if I call in today and I pledge $100, what do I get? There are quite a few things you can get. So I would first advise you to go to the Winter Pledge Drive page at kpft.org to see the full Excellent. offerings. Excellent idea. But some things that stood out, you can get concert tickets. Yeah. Um, for different amounts. For example, this is you know this is like the little secret of KPFT when mm-hmm. we do these pledge drives. These concert tickets haven't been to many of these concerts. This is like the little secret, right? This yeah. is the way you go. So, but by seven one three five two six five seven three eight, and just hit option one if you want to donate. Yeah. And what can you win? Well, if you're free this yes. Friday, February tenth, you could have a reserved table for two. At Jim Lauderdale's 9.30 p.m. show at the Mucky Duck. Mucky Duck, always a, a, a good show. A favorite establishment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, additionally, maybe Friday doesn't work. <laughs> Dr. Bob, no worries. Because Saturday at, I don't know what time. I'm guessing there's just one time. The if Saturday you figure, show. On the Saturday so- show for Suzanne, Susan Werner, you get five pairs of general admission tickets for a $100 pledge. For $100 pledge. What a pledge. deal. That's a good At Millbend Coffee House. So what are some of the other concerts? Just names. We don't need to do the dates. What's, sure. What are some of the names of some of the concerts that you could get tickets for just by well, donating to KPFT today? Those are the only two concerts on my list, okay. but you could take the Houston History Bus Tour. I love this thing. This is the $75 yeah, I didn't bus even tour. know this existed on either March 12th, 26th, April 15th, or April 16th. And they'll and they'll fit you in. But this is what a good thing. This is the we old, love the Houston the bus tour. Bus tour. Yeah, I've never tour. been on it. Now it's I'm an open feeling, air bus. Yeah, it goes I around donate. the museum district and other areas. Yeah, it seems like it'd yeah, be sort I'll of fun. I'll pledge to to take the bus tour. But yeah, I mean, and then we've got tons of um, other stuff. Seven one three five two six five seven three eight three eight. Option one. <laughs> Option one. Very or good. kpft.org to see the winter pledge drive details. 
Good, very good. And I think we're starting to get money as we speak. I just, I, uh, I can I just, only hope. Rebecca just let uh, let us know that. If that didn't convince you guys, I don't know what you're looking for. <laughs> so this is the way to, and this is the way to support keeping uh, uh, growing up in America on the air. Hey, uh, I want to talk a little bit about mental health. Yeah, because this is a big deal for us, and so I want to. We have a good buddy, uh, Dr. Jamie Freeney, who's over at MHA, and uh, Dr. Freeney, how you doing? well how are you we're doing super well jamie i always love talking to you right because the world could be falling apart and when i talk to you you seem like you're in a good mood always and so (laughs) you know it's it's good for my mental health dr freeney i have to say so uh great one of the things i wanted to talk about is um i know we're going to talk about youth suicide today but mental health in texas in general uh we're we're in a state that doesn't seem to have appreciated where we are in regards to mental health. I mean, uh, how do, how do we overcome that Jamie in terms of all the, the trauma that our children have suffered over the years? I really think we need to start from a, a, a space of introspection and retrospection and looking at the understanding ourselves and what drives us, what, makes us mad, what makes us angry, why do we have road rage, or why yeah. do we not have road rage? Yeah. Looking at, and thinking about our own thing, what, what drives us, what drives our emotions, and then also taking that step and looking at the, what drives the emotions and things of other people and understanding that um, mental health is something that is going to be impacted by whatever it is. It could be money, fi- you know, finances, employment, jobs concert tickets, you know, people trying to get Beyonce tickets. There's there's all these things. But what really is important, I think, is that we focus on the impact of what mental illness and what unaddressed stress is doing. It's not that it's bad to, you know, to to have mental illness or to be stressed. Those are those things, you know, will occur. It's what is what is it impacting? What are we not seeing as a society because there are so many people suffering from mental illness and we're not doing our due diligence to um, address and provide the needs. And I also think that we're overlooking some of the lower hanging fruit with what I call lower hanging fruit is the services that cost less, but still connect you with someone. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. It can just be with someone in the community that can listen and that can support you and validate you. So I really think if we stop overthinking um, what it means to address mental health and, and those needs and also just start thinking in a, in a space of reality in ourselves and what we face every day, that maybe there would be an increase in the value of mental health. Yeah. I love looking at kind of, you know, handling mental health from almost like an opportunity lens of like, what could we be, accessing or achieving if people were able to, you know, Mm -hmm. find their full potential because they had these, you know, critical services. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, what the impact might be for like young people, especially, I mean, I think all of us who have been teenagers once or young people, Mm. um, especially in this weird information age where everything Mm -hmm. is happening all the time, like what... Um, you know, you mentioned this idea of like the community services, what kind of, what could that look like for young people? And, you know, where are, what do they need to meet their specific challenges? You know what? I really think we are, we are in a space where we're recog- where we're facing that now. Um, the individuals that were youth are now in the, the main, uh, workforce community. And I really feel like if we were to engage youth um, and allow all of the youth to be mentally well, we would be doing things totally different. Mm -hmm. I really think that the imagination, the creativity, the brilliance of our young people um, is often shut down or overshadowed by depression, by anxiety, by social anxiety, but by test anxiety, you know, all these things that, that really keep them from moving forward in the system but yet internally they have these brilliant ideas. They just don't, you know, it, it's always a, a gap in some part of that spectrum, right? So I might have the idea, but I don't know how to implement it. Or I'd have the idea and I know how to implement it. I don't have anyone listening to me. I don't have anyone believing that this is going to work. So I don't have, you know, institutions that might be um, willing to invest grant money in my, in my ideas because 
one, they're innovative, they're new, no one's done it before. Two, um, the older generation that's in the workforce that's making the decisions right now are, are risk averse. And if they can't figure out, if they can't see how it's going to work, then they are less likely to fund it. And I think we have to be um, uh, uh, more intentional about increasing the self-esteem of our young people, giving them a space to talk and validating what they're saying and, 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 and really listening because they do have some great ideas. And then I also think that we need to make sure that as we are listening and as we are encouraging them to speak up, that we are, do, we are, we are being trauma-informed facilitators. We are being trauma-informed listeners. When they're telling us things, we're not reverting back to what we know in the legislature or what yeah. we know about Medicaid. We really have to be open-minded and, and encourage them. And we have to be okay with the unknown. We're talking with... <laughs> We're talking with Dr. Jamie Freeney. She's the director of the Center for School Behavioral Health at Mental Health America Houston. Uh, Dr. Freeney, it seems like the ultimate failure of our system when we don't have all these mental health backstops, right, that that many other states Mm -hmm. and most other countries have, right, certainly any developed Mm -hmm. country, but we don't seem to have here in Texas. Uh, The ultimate failure is youth suicide. And so when we talk about youth suicide here in Houston, here in Texas, what are the things, what are some of the things that we should be doing right out front in terms of uh, youth suicide prevention? Number one, better reporting. Yeah. Hands down, we have we, we have we need a way where we can see in real time who is dying by suicide, where what communities, what geography, where are they, what are some of the demographics, and and start to really understand why. Because we can I, I can rattle off you know a whole bunch of social determinants and yep. racism and discrimination and all those things that really do honestly contribute to suicidal ideation as well as natural disasters and things of that nature. But once we understand what is it that's occurring in our young people in the state of Texas, in Mm -hmm. our communities that may be slightly different from a young person in Chicago or a young person in California um, or in DC. So we, that's another thing that we need to really do is, is really hone in and understand what are our youth struggling with and how can we be more supportive of that and then how can we also learn about these deaths um, on a, a more rapid basis so that we can be better at prevention and better at planning and what do we what do we tell parents I mean what do you guys tell parents in, in regards to if they're worried about their teenager uh, like maybe their teenager they, they think maybe they're thinking about suicide or they've attempted it before what are the warning signs that parents just need to be ready for with teenagers so warning signs um there's a whole list of warning signs but i can tell you this what matters is the duration Mm -hmm. of that warning sign um so how so if it lasts about two 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 weeks or longer um that's a, a red flag as well as the the severity or the consequences so for example um Changes in sleep patterns, changes in eating habits are, are warning signs for any, you know, mental illness or any, any struggle. But you want to notice that, that if it's taking place longer than two weeks or not, same thing with maybe agitation. Maybe your, 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 per, your teen, your yeah. child is mm-hmm. just super agitated really quickly, or maybe they don't want to go to school. Maybe they don't, are not interested in playing basketball or not, you know, not interested in doing the things that they loved or even pulling away from their own friends. This is a, Social, um, the social circle is like the the prime, uh, the, the priority for a lot of teens, you know. And so, if you see them even pulling away from their friends, those are red. Those are certainly red flags. But you want to be aware of um, the duration. You know, you don't want to yeah. approach and 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 say, "Oh, you must, you know, you must be suffering from depression because I saw, saw you crying for the last two days." No, let's let's look at duration. And then I always tell parents to. Um, listen, validate, and reassure. Those are my three points. Listen to your children. Don't talk. Don't interrupt. Don't give your opinion. Don't give your facts. Smile. Listen. Nod your head. Validate what they're telling you. 
Dr. Freeney, yes, I feel yes. I feel like we need to have you on on a regular basis, right? I mean, I feel like there's just so much good information here. And and you know what? I do feel like there needs to be more awareness in this state around mental health, right? I just feel like Absolutely. Uh, you and I both know this, right? We've talked about this. Legislators are missing, missing the boat on this, right? There's just so much yes. that could be better around childhood in Texas if we paid more attention to some of these things. And this is little things. Pe- parents who think that their kids are just fine, you know, you're missing out by not having a school counselor who could catch some of these little things as well. I mean, and that's the smallest of things. So, um, and it's a team. It's a yeah. team. It's not, you. they're, they're not alone. Parents right. are not alone. You have your community, your church, your doctor's office, your school. There's so many, you know, other um, support personnel that can help you look at these obser- op- observations and also can give you some support while you're reaching out to your primary care provider or to your school um, yeah. for more information mm-hmm. on how yeah. to obtain help. Dr. Jamie Freeney, Director of the Center of School Behavioral Health at MHA America and Mental Health America Houston. Thank you so much, Dr. Freeney. Talk Thanks, to you Dr. soon. Dr. Freeney. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. All right, you ready to talk to Katie Stone? I think so because she's talking to us about an event that I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, yeah. And and here's the thing is that we have this new event coming up, Eat, Drink, HDX. I, it, they did it last year, but this is the great people who bring restaurant re- weeks to Houston, right? Mm-hmm. The Cleverly Stone Foundation. And this year uh, with a special focus on uh, child food insecurity, child hunger, uh, we're doing gr- great things. Katie, how are you doing? Katie Stone is with us, Eat, Drink, HDX. Katie, how are you doing? Hey guys, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about this Eat Drink HTX and how everyone can really get involved by going to some of your favorite restaurants, right? And then this money, much like with Restaurant Weeks, this money goes to great places like the Houston Food Bank and also Children at Risk for the work that they're doing in terms of fighting child hunger. Yeah, absolutely. So Eat Drink HTX is the sister event to Houston Restaurant Weeks. Uh, my mother, Cleverly Stone, she founded Houston Restaurant Weeks in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, you might remember, it, it used to be just one week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. Not, Back in the day. Yeah, not the five-week mammoth that it is now. And then it eventually moved to two-week event, three-week, and then it just extended uh, through Labor Day. Um, and so this was the big you know, project that my mother had been working on the last few years of her life. Uh, was, um, you know, holding an event during another time of the year uh, that was tough for restaurants. You know, August in Houston for restaurants, many people don't know, but August is the toughest month of the year. Um, People are, you know, back to school. Everybody's, you know, running around, getting those last-minute trips into the grandparents before school starts around mid-August. And restaurants typically suffer. And that was why my mother originally, uh, you know, put Houston Restaurant Weeks during the month of August. Similar um, in February. The last two weeks of February are tough in Houston for the casual dining restaurants. And the reason that is, is because, you know, Valentine's Day, February 14th, is a very popular dining out holiday traditionally at the fine dining price point. Um, And so what happens is people save up for the first few weeks of the month and then they don't, you know, have too much to, you know, discretionary dining dollars left over for the last few weeks of February. The other kind of big thing that hits the casual dining restaurants in Houston in February is rodeo starts. Yeah. And that, that also kind of takes up a lot of the discretionary dining dollars and, and just extracurricular dollars that people plan on spending. And so, you know, my mother's 25-year, you know, history as a very well-known uh, mm-hmm. broadcaster and, and writer, and, and, you know, for many, many years, yeah. she was the only only person covering restaurants and hospitality in, in all three mediums, you know, print, TV, and radio. She understood that there was a need during the last two weeks of February. And so we established Eat Drink HTX last year. Uh, we had 91 restaurants that benefited the Houston Food Bank and Star of Hope. 
And this year, we plan on swapping out the uh, second beneficiary every year, and we chose children at risk. And and I think this is really, you know, we're helping restaurants, but really what's interesting is that when you think about kids in our state, right, one in five Texas children face hunger. Almost 300,000 children just in Harris County are food insecure. Um, you know, when we look at uh, the percentage of children in the state of Texas that qualify for free and reduced school lunch, we're talking about 62%. I mean, there is this level of food insecurity and hunger amongst our kids that uh, many Texans should feel ashamed of, right? And this is something that you're going directly after, right, Katie, with this, is the fact that this benefits two organizations that are really fighting child hunger. Absolutely. And this was, you know, you, you know, uh, many, many of you knew my mom. This was yeah. a, a cause that was near and dear to her heart. She really, truly took it personally that, you know, a, a, a huge and, and such a, a prosperous, and dynamic city is Houston, you know, soon to be the third largest city in the United States, perhaps the city, most likely the city that has the most restaurants yeah. uh, than any other than any other city, um, you know, has this big of a problem with childhood hunger. And it was something that she and I talked about quite often, and it, it was something that would make her very emotional. Um, and so this was a, a very logical choice. For, for us as the Cleverly Stone Foundation and continuing her mission and her legacy here in Houston of helping Houstonians, you know, Houston Restaurant Week now the largest annual fundraiser for the last 10 years for the Houston Food Bank, which is the largest food bank in the country, which is, you know, pretty phenomenal. You know, one of the things that Cleverly and I had talked about was the fact that uh, you know, school breakfast is something that we've really pushed really hard in the Houston area and across Texas. And this idea that many school districts really don't avail themselves uh, about school school breakfast. And, and Lauren, it's something that at Children at Risk we fought for a lot, right? This whole idea of making sure that school districts serve school breakfast because mm-hmm. kids do better academically. I mean, yeah, we have more than enough data to confirm that if kids aren't eating, if they're not, you know, filled up. I'm sure any of us have experienced, you know, the day when you skip breakfast or lunch, even just a one-off meal can really throw off, which like, if you're in school, every class really can count. Like that's the one class for the one unit on the exam. And I mean, like, it's, it's so important on a consistent and daily basis for children to get access to con- nutritious food. Yeah. Katie, uh, where do we find a list of these restaurants where we could go? If we want to support the fight against hunger uh, and we want to support the fight against children going hungry, uh, where do we find a list of the restaurants that we can go to and eat and also give back? So there's a few places that people can find the menus and the listing of restaurants. Uh, Our website is eatdrinkhtx.com. That is where you will find the most complete list. Uh, it looks pretty identical to the Houston Restaurant Week's website. Uh, the menus are all listed. The three price points for Eat Drink HTX, uh, the brunch and lunch price point is $15, and it's two courses uh, with $1 uh, being the donation. And then the two dinner price points, also both two courses, are 20 and $25 and the corresponding donation being 2 and $3 per meal sold. Um, and we are constantly updating the restaurants that are joining the event. The menus uh, went live on February 1st. Uh, we had just under, I believe we had about 90 restaurants that went live. I believe we have about 115 or 120 wow. right now. And, you know, as we are getting out there, and, and uh, the live coverage on Fox 26, of course, began last week. I'm headed out to do another live episode right after I, I finish talking with you all on Fox 26, the Foodies and Friends, uh, at one of our new restaurants participating in Eat Drink HTX called Be More Pacific. Uh, it's in the Heights. Oh, my and, God, I love that restaurant. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's been a fan favorite so far, and and, uh, you know, we, uh, we cover the, um, the event five days a week on Fox 26, which is pretty amazing because it really helps to bring awareness yeah. to all of our incredible restaurants around Houston and, and, you know, show the diner something they haven't seen. Plus, they're dining out and doing good, as my mother would like to say, because they're supporting hunger uh, charities here in Houston. So 
Katie Stone from Eat Drink HTX. And uh, so much, we'll see Katie. you tomorrow, Katie, at the big press conference as well on this. So looking forward to that. Thanks for being Thank on the show. Guys. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we want to thank uh, Hannah Dadu for big, big five hundred dollars. Hannah reached into those pockets. I have to assume because she can't imagine a world where I am not on the air every week. She did for you, Lauren. I'm I know, and that sure. is the risk. If you've all forgotten of not pledging, is that Dr. Bob and I will no longer be able to come <laughs> on Wednesdays Very and good. and bring you this content. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you very much. And this is, should be uh, uh, encouragement for everyone else to give a call in. 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Uh, we take all forms of plastic, apparently. So yeah, that's uh, what we, I've want, heard. we want people to use that. Hey, let's go to our data of the day. Do we have? It's uh, our Beyonce song. We listened Beyonce? to it. Oh, that was it. Yeah. That was our date of the day song. So Layla's on. Layla, and Layla, we give want. Us Layla. To, why don't we have Layla be the, the data song since we always have Layla being the speaker on this, right? Oh, I had someone tell <laughs> that was me that I should. A very dramatic intro. Be more familiar <laughs> with that song because that's, Layla's also my dog's name. So a lot of people sing that song at my dog. Unrelated. Yeah. I, I love it when you have a guest on the radio and you say, hey, by the way, you're named the same as my dog. I actually did that to a man at a bar. He introduced, He came up to me. That's you your, know, your current boyfriend? Up. No, no. Um, a man, not my boyfriend. And he introduced himself. He said, my name is Ollie and I, or Oliver. And I said, oh, my God, that's my dog's name. And um, that's about where that ended. Yeah. So for the ladies would recommend, <laughs> tell a man right, his name's your to- dog's name. Date of the day, the number of the day today, 32, 32. I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I can't figure this out, Layla. There's so many things that 32 could be. Tell us a little bit about the number 32. Uh, by the way, Layla is the director of our Center for Social Measurement Evaluation at Children's Risk. Certainly, Layla they know Mazzali. that by now. Yeah, Layla Mazzali. Layla, what does the number 32 mean? 32. So 32, it's a percentile. The percentage, rather. Yeah, 32%. According to data reported to the TEA, uh, black students in Texas accounted for 32% of all out-of-school suspensions in the 2021-2022 school year, despite making up only 13% of the student population. Ouch. So there's a major over-representation there. Um, Black students are being disciplined at much higher rates than students of other races. It's just pure unfair, isn't it? I mean... uh, is this like an inherent racism on the part of the system where black students are being singled out for this out-of-school suspension, Layla? I mean, it would point to teacher bias. There's been a lot of studies, I mean, or administrator bias. We don't always want to single out teachers, but a lot of studies have indicated that black students are perceived as more adults than their peers um, and receive harsher punishments as a result of that. Wow. Yeah. Well, an out-of-school suspension I think is particularly egregious because by nature, as the name would suggest, not only are you, you know, putting students in this, you know, unfortunate situation of facing discipline, of having something on their record, but you're also literally taking them out of the classroom, diminishing their overall learning time, which we all know very well is extremely detrimental to long-term, you know, learning and, and success. Right. And we see similar inequalities across student achievement as well. And, and I, I love this idea, right, that we know that when students of color are with teachers of color, that there tend to be fewer of these uh, school out-of-school suspensions. Uh, there teams, seems to be higher graduation rate. It's this whole idea that we, we also know, right, that peer learning is important. We know that integrated classes are important. But we know that racism exists, you know, with with uh, when there's overwhelmingly white teachers uh, against black students. So, so it, it just happens in our classrooms. I mean, the data is pretty clear on this. And it's not that more black students are acting out. It's it's just that we're seeing uh, sort of this this form of discrimination in the classroom, Layla. Right. Yeah, it's, it's harsher discipline for similar offenses. Um, so, I mean, really what this tells us is that, I mean, in addition, of course, to implementing other forms of discipline that are not exclusionary, um, you know, there's been a lot of studies that have indicated that various forms of restorative justice when implemented in schools can be very effective. Um, it also tells us that teacher diversifying the teacher workforce is also very important. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we were just talking to Dr. Jamie Freeney about 
you know, youth suicide prevention, but I think more generally youth mental health. And something that I think comes up a lot is the idea of like a trusted adult to not only be, you know, kind of a crisis response potentially, but just like the power of having, you know, an adult you feel safe with who can encourage you and who can, you know, help you, you know, can, can realize in you your ability to just like to flourish, to do whatever. And I feel like that's something that, you know, I can only imagine if I felt that my, my teacher was, you know, constantly waiting for me to do something wrong, if I was at a higher likelihood to be disciplined, like that just puts students in such an oppositional position with the, the sometimes the only potential, you know, trusted adult in their life to, to have this kind of, you know, reputation. Next Tuesday, we're going to have a rally on the steps of the uh, Texas Capitol in Austin, mm-hmm. uh, Equity Day. And yeah. uh, we're focusing on this and many other issues around equity. I'll be there with a, a whole bunch of legislators that are very interested in equity from both sides of the political aisle. Uh, they'll be out there on the Capitol steps. We'd love for you guys to be part of that. Layla, thank you so much for the work that you do. Layla Mazzali is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children Rest. Layla, take it easy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Layla. Okay. All righty. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. And she's out of here. Hey, let's go and uh, let's have a little bit of music, and then we'll go to Daphne Hernandez coming up. Dr. Daphne Hernandez, she's associate professor of the Department of Research at UT Health here in Houston. Daphne, Dr. Hernandez, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. Hey, Daphne, thanks so much for being on the program today. Um, we want to talk a little bit about some of the research that you've been doing uh, around nourishing smiles. Give us a sort of a snapshot of what's going on with that, Daphne. Sure. Nourishing Smiles is a school-based oral health and nutrition literacy program geared towards low-income high school students that my colleagues and I developed. So this was a collaboration between the Physics School of Nursing and the School of Dentistry. We received internal funding from both of the schools to develop this program and implement it in a high school. Um, we also received staff support from Communities and School of Houston during the implementation of the program. So this was a large endeavor that, you know, that involved universities and community organizations to implement this program that focused on um, seven classroom lessons. Uh, each of the lessons included a small lecture, video, hands-on activities. So it was very interactive to help the students learn the connection between nutrition and oral health and and how oral health and uh, some experimentations that may they may occur during adolescence, how that is all related to their oral health. And I can speak more to that. Da- Daphne, help me with this. I mean, so often yeah. uh, people in Texas, people in the United States don't think of oral health or, you know, how, how my teeth are doing as sort of part of public health, right? Uh, and yet right. in some other countries, right, we know that, I mean, except for maybe England, right? But we know they have horrible teeth, right? But I think uh, other countries, you, you, a lot more attention is, is paid to dental health as a public policy, not so much as you need to brush your teeth every day, but as public policy. What, what is it that's, that, that we're so slow on the uptake here in the United States on this particular issue? Well, in general, in, in the U.S., we are slow on preventative care. Yeah. We're not into preventative care. So um, that's the primary issue. We're, we're high on interventions, but not primary care. And, and I think when it comes to oral health, we don't, we have a tendency to think it's just your mouth, but it, it affects your entire digestive system. It affects, um, if you have a, you know, untreated dental care, it affects your diet. You change what you eat if you have a toothache. Um, and it affects your sleep, it, uh, you know, connecting it to your previous sections, uh, your previous guests. It, yeah. it affects academic performance and school attendance. And so when we put all this together, it's just another social determinant of, you know, why yeah. 
certain children may not be finishing high school, may not be as successful. Um, and it's just a little piece, but it, we, don't, we don't tend to focus on oral health. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is so interesting. We do at Children at Risk a lot of work around, you know, this age, this group called Opportunity Youth, which are, you know, these 16 to 24 year old young people who have fallen kind of through the cracks for a whole host of reasons. Um, and I found that when you're reading, you know, data and reports talking to this age group, like need for dental care is something that comes up all the time. But is to Dr. Bob's point, not something we we talk about enough, I don't think, in the health public policy space. So I'd love to hear maybe what have been, I guess, the reception of y'all's program, you know, either from the schools or from the communities in which you've been trying to bring this and, you know, what have you, what are you seeing as, you know, you're educating students? Like, how is this being received? Yes. So the school is very excited uh, because in Texas, um, oral health or in health education has really become an elective. And so we're coming in and saying, hey, we will provide this program to your students um, during the school day. And we, there is excitement among the students in terms of learning, in terms of trying. We also bring in uh, fruits that they are interested in eating but have mm. never tried. Yeah. And so they're, they're trying. You know, some of this, we had some of a little bit of pushback at start saying the teacher's like, oh, they're not going to try it. But one person in this in the classroom tries it, and so that you know is a domino effect, and so others begin to try. Um, but in terms of learning, they we've seen an increase in their nutrition literacy and their oral health literacy. And the most exciting part of, about this is that we, because we've teamed up with the school of dentistry, the mobile van, the mobile dental van visits the school, and. Um, you know, when we asked the students, are you interested in getting your teeth clean? All the students were interested. Wow. Um, wow. And so, th- yeah, and so this, and I think the reason is, and, and why we think this program can have long-term effects is during adolescence, there's identity development, right? So, and that's correlated with self-esteem, peer acceptance, and it's the starting dating relationships. And so they're interested in their appearance and... They, are, they may be aware that they have bad breath or this, their, their teeth are discolored. Yeah. And so the idea of somebody coming in and providing the service that they um, may know that their parents can't provide for them excites them. And when we, when we looked at the data, we saw that 67% of the students had not visited a dentist in the past year. Wow. So it was very exciting yes. that we were able to bring the van to the students um, and another reason we brought the van is um, when we when we implemented the program the first time, yep. we provided vouchers for the students to go to the school of dentistry, uh, but there was a lot of transportation challenges. Wow. So, and then after they get the, their teeth checked, they get some free candy, I'm assuming, or something? <laughs> no, I guess that, that would be the wrong thing. So. You know what they say about candy from the van, Dr. Bob. Yeah, so Daphne Hernandez, uh, <laughs> Professor Hernandez is the Associate Professor, Department of Research, UT Health uh, Houston. And Daphne, I, I love this idea of uh, dental equity, right? This whole mm-hmm. idea around dental accessibility equity. Thank you very much for this. Uh, and uh, hope to hear from you again soon, Daphne. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. I need a sign to let me know you're here. All of these lines are being crossed over the atmosphere. All right. Up next, we have uh, my buddy James Durden. James is with Texas A+, uh, which is part of Children's Risk. He's the numeracy performance coach out there. James, how you doing, man? James. You there, James? Oh, there, there he is. There we are. How you been doing? I'm great. I'm great. How are you? Very good. Hey, I, I'm sitting here listening. <laughs> I'm glad you are, right? You're the one, right? So listen, yeah. uh, I was wondering, James, when we look across the state of Texas and when we, or we look across Houston, how, do, how are our kids doing with numeracy, right, with math skills? How are we doing in general compared uh, to the rest of the country? How's Houston doing compared to the rest of Texas? Oh, well, that's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> I think overall um, our 
numeracy skills are getting better. Yeah. But but the way that we assess students at the state and national levels is a little bit different. Um, state level, we assess a lot on uh, comprehension, conceptual understanding, and at the national level, most of your national exams are more of the computational based exams. And so I think we're we're lagging a little bit behind some of the states because we spend a lot of time on uh, um, conceptual understanding and comprehension of mathematics and not as much time on the computation of mathematics in the state, the way that our state teachers are written. And, and when you go into a school, as you and your colleagues do, and they mm-hmm. say, hey, we need to turn around our math scores. We need to turn around yeah. the way we do math education here yeah. at the school. What are some of the things that you focus on, James? Well, I think one of the things that makes us a little bit different is that not only do we focus on um, content knowledge of teachers, but we also focus on pedagogy. And that that's something that uh, many of our teachers who are coming in into the, into the profession via alternatively certified programs, they don't get as much of the pedagogy that's uh, necessary to actually teach mathematics at elementary, middle, and high school levels. Um, and so we do spend a lot of time on the pedagogy, understanding who is in front of us as far as uh, teacher and student, um, and that's a huge part of student success, knowing who's in front of us, knowing what they need to be successful as far as um, mental and uh, computational abilities. Yeah, I think that's, you know, super, and I had never heard about the difference in assessment between the state and federal level and can totally understand as, you know, teachers are, you know, their performance is often judged by those scores, kind of, we're, we're giving them a moving target, Um, I'd love to hear a little bit. I know that some of the, there's been a lot of talk around the math standards and them changing, um, what you're hearing from the classroom and kind of, you know, these teachers who maybe don't feel prepared already, how they're, you know, planning to respond and and what they're feeling about this changing, you know, evolving conversation on how we teach and assess kids at math. Yeah. Um, what I hear on a day-to-day basis is pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teachers feel pressure because most teachers come in in mathematics and they want to teach math. They want to teach students how to compute. Um, What they, many of us don't realize is that also teaching students the ability to understand when to add, subtract, multiply, and divide, and not just how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. That's one of the huge disconnects that we're seeing in the classroom on a daily basis is that um, we often put what we call naked numbers in front of kids. And when they are successful in the computation, we say, good job. And then when we assess them, we put a context field word problem in front of students. Not the word problem. Oh, yeah, (laughs) the word problem. The the ones that we generally told the kids that that was a bonus. So if you do that, that's a bonus. But now... um, if you look at the way the tests are designed in, in Texas, the STAR, the EOCs, I would say 70 to 75% of the assessment is wrapped in a context. And, you know, I hear math teachers all the time saying kids can't read, can't, kids can't mm. read. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Reading in ELA and reading in mathematics is a little bit different. Um, there are a lot of inference-based understandings that need to be happening in math. And and uh, I'm not certain that all teachers are equipped that teach math Yeah, um, with showing students how to decode inference-based questions. J- James, let me ask you one uh, last question be- before we um, uh, have to move on to the next guest. And, and that is... Uh, we have our school rankings coming out this Sunday in the Houston Chronicle and the Dallas Morning News and across the state. We've rated every school and we're seeing this significant 
with many of our schools, the significant drop because of the pandemic. What what are you what are you seeing in terms of math education and math knowledge with kids because of this pandemic? Briefly, um, I think it's when we walk into math class, the students see every day as something new to learn, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily see or make the connections. And so, therefore, we do have learning loss because. Oftentimes we flush what we did yesterday because we don't believe it has a connection to today or tomorrow. And so I think that plays a huge part in the learning loss that we're seeing, especially with the uh, coming out of a pandemic. Um, Kids were not face-to-face for a long time. Um, Virtual just was not uh, working for a large majority of our students. However, there were some who were successful. But I just think the, the flushing of information because we don't see the connection it has a huge impact on the learning loss we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. James Darden is a, a math expert, <laughs> a numeracy expert <laughs> with uh, the Texas A-plus challenge. Hey, James, thanks so much for all that you do. Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. Thanks, James. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Bob, I have a trivia question for you. Yeah, and what is that trivia question? What do Heights Theater, do do Big Barn, Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion and Smart Financial Center all have in common. I'm guessing. I'm only guessing here, but they they like kids. I think they like kids. But mm-hmm. secondly, if you pledge to KPFT, they're going to give you a little something. You know, Dr. Bob, I can't get anything past you. Sure enough, <laughs> all of those venues and more are, are eligible locations all throughout the spring if you make a pledge. And it could be a pledge. We've got $90. And then we've got some, you know, for 360 ish dollars, you're getting a VIP package. You're in the pit, you're getting a t shirt. It's, a, a, it's a full send. A full send? A full send. Wow, wow, that's good. So, so all people have to do is call in. Yep. Where do they call? They 713 526 5738. And uh, this is uh, just press one. Yeah. And, uh, and just like Paula just like Pesci Paula did, and just and like Dennis, Dennis O'Doherty. You know, so it was, you know, we had a whole group of people calling we did. in. So we so want to thank like them Paula especially. And Dennis. Yeah, thank be, you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. Paula be like Paul. You know what we say? Be like Paula and Dennis. Be, just be like Paula and Dennis. <laughs> in every way. And, and we, but we mostly and, the way where give. you call. Yeah. And pledge. 713-526-5738. Uh, press number one and do your pledge like Hannah, like Dennis, like Paula. So very good. Hey, let's go to Eric Alcala is with us out in El Paso. I always love going out to El Paso. I do too. Eric Alcala is uh, with the Texas Racial Equity Collaborative. Uh, Erica, how are you doing today? Hi. Yes, I'm here in El Paso. Beautiful El Paso. I'm I'm doing good. Thank you. It's always beautiful El Paso. So one of the things that the Texas Racial Equity Collaborative is doing is uh, you're doing you're, you're a big part of Equity Day, which is Tuesday at the Capitol, but also a big equity report is coming out. Erica, give me a snapshot of what that uh, report is going to say about equity in Texas. Yeah, of course. Like you mentioned, we do have the report coming up soon. Um, similar to the State of Black Children Summit, we are focusing on four different areas, and those areas are access to good health, access to fair justice, access to um, quality education, and also access to basic needs. Um, We're focusing on areas of disparities, um, racial disparities within these focuses, and really going more like deeper into the the data that we're finding. And and does Texas do poorly in all these areas or do, is there is there anything of a claim? Are there any bright spots here, Erica? Well, there there are good and you know areas of of growth as well, um, specifically for each. That's, of that's the, so nice, isn't that it? Was, that was that's such a positive areas spin. for growth. Areas for growth, Erica. Texas has a lot of areas for growth, don't we, Erica? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, you're being so nice. So is there something, I mean, when you think about this report, Erica, is is there something that's sort of striking to you, like, man, I wish we were better at this? 
I think that's the beautiful part of this report, that it focuses on different areas, that to focus on just one, it's a bit difficult. Yeah. Um, because, because, you know, I think there are there is a lot of room for growth, especially yeah. in, you know, quality education, yeah. um, in fair justice for, for our children. Um, and I, I can try and pinpoint certain things, but like I mentioned, there are yeah, I think that's, that's amazing. Um, you ready for our final fun questions with Eric Alcala? So this is our, so on our final two minutes. We just want to hit you with a couple of really fun questions. Uh, Erica, um, what was your favorite TV show as a kid? Favorite TV show as a kid, um, telenovelas. So these are like the soap operas. Um, I used to watch them all the time with my mom. <laughs> Well, I could tell you that all the producers from Children of Risk are like going wild. They all love the telenovelas <laughs> también. So, uh, Erica, other than a project coordinator at Children at Risk, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? As a child, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I wanted to be a, a doctor, um, mainly because I, I loved my pediatrician. She was always wonderful. Wow. And that's now so you're a social funny. worker, right? I mean, that's your, you have your master's in social work, right, Erica? That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm very a social good. worker. And when they make the Erica Alcala story in Hollywood or in Mexico, maybe Televisa is going to do this. Uh, who do you want to play you, Erica? Who's gonna Who's gonna play Erica Alcala in the big story? <laughs> That's a tough question. <laughs> um, oh gosh, I can't think. Um, I'm just gonna say Salma Hayek because it's the oh. first. Great choice. Yeah, well, I mean, good. you can't get better than that. That's right. The very good. Eric Alcala <laughs> is uh, with Children at Risk and with the Texas Racial Equity Collaborative. Erica, thank you very much for being a part of the Growing Up in America program. Uh, thanks for being here. And Lauren, thanks for being here today as well. And uh, Pledge Week. It's always a fun week to be here. It's always, especially during, it's an even more fun week, a funner week. I'm my fifth grade language arts teacher is coming to the studio right now because I said funner, but. That's all right. Hey, we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for being here. uh, And thanks for being part of the fight for children. For children. And the Jay-Z song was alright So I put my hands up to play my song The butterflies flew away Nodding my head like yeah Moving my hips like GOAT, G-O-A-T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at Father Hood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. 
It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totally...